0: Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: So I said, who are we playing with? And he said, oh, you're playing with TJ Gardner. I I said, I don't, he says, oh, he's a 10-year-old kid. He kills it. He hits it so well, he's a 10-year-old kid. And he plays the golds and you're going to play on the golds. I said, oh, great. And I walked away laughing, laughing out loud (laughs) that this is my destiny in life. (laughs) To be beaten by 15 (laughs) shots (laughs) by by a a (laughs) 10-year-old kid from the same
0: tees. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on
1: now. From Jim Downey in Lake Orion or Lake Orion in Michigan, 21 handicap versus the 10-year-old kid. Forget the smoke. Code purple means press the bet, kid. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to get to that in a second. I just wanted to get to this first because I always enjoy these particular emails. Tom Mule in Bowie, Maryland. Since we're now in June, I thought I would update you again on the sunrise and sunset times in the D.C. area. As we approach the summer solstice, don't worry, June 21st will still be the longest day with 14 hours, 53 minutes and 53 seconds of daylight. Sunrises have been getting earlier and earlier since January 5th. The earliest sunrise will be on June 14th, that's tomorrow or the next day, June 14th at 542 AM in the DC area. June 7th through the 20th will have sunrises in the 542 minute, but June 14th, one week before the solstice will be the earliest. So I guess that's in seconds. I guess it changes by seconds. Sunsets have been getting later since December 7th in the D.C. area. The latest sunset will be on June 28th at 8.37 p.m. Similar to sunrises, sunsets will be in the 8.37 minute between July, June 22nd and July 3rd, with the latest on June 28th. That is one week after the solstice. I will mail again in about six months when we approach the winter solstice to make sure you are properly prepared. If not already taken, I would like to be designated as a solstice, sunrise, and sunset monitor for the Tony Kornheiser show, which is done. Yes, so, Absolutely. I just
2: love that the email, it just confirms everything that we talk about on our way to the show in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When Look at the sun. It's up up so early. All right. So let's get to the golf tournament
1: and TJ Gardner. And let me also acknowledge that his uncle um, is a good friend of Matt Kelleher's. So Kelleher uh, called me the other day before the tournament. And he said, I just got to tell you this about the kid's uncle that he played with. He played nine with him. And TJ shot 39 and nine. I said, I'm doomed. I I can't play. So- we played with TJ and, and his dad, and we enjoyed it enormously, did we not?
2: I had a great day, and it had nothing to do with my own golf. It, to me, so much about this event is looking forwards and backwards, and you see it from as soon as you walk onto the practice tee to when you're on the course, just seeing the relationship between dads and sons. And and you are looking forward, of course, to your sons yeah, playing I'm see- with
1: I'm, you, when and I see me this... being bounced and just sitting in the cart because I'm the too cart. Old. Yeah, maybe I'll pop. So pump. hit it. Yeah, maybe I'll pop. <laughs> <laughs> So we played, and would you describe how we usually play together and stop talking very early?
2: Normally by the third hole, uh, there's been, you know, birdie or two, there's been a bogey, and we, we go into silent mode for the remainder of the front nine, and we finally get to the second nine. Hello, friends. Uh, we, yeah. we realize we have shot ourselves out of it, no, we're done. and we return. There's no embrace, but there's a knowing nod that says, we can do this, yeah. and we, normal, we battle our way to, you know, fourth or fifth gross. Yeah, so we do something
1: fairly good at some point. So the, the moment when I knew I was done as a golfer in this particular tournament came very early, came in the second hole. We are playing TJ and I, and again, he's 10 and he's what I admired most about him is he has his routine down. He has the practice swing. He has the grip. He has the breath.
2: He's, you know, he doesn't take nines. You know what I mean? Right. He's, he's a player. You can tell he understands the process, but it's not, he's not overwhelmed by it. Again, he's 10. He's 10. So on the T on the gold tees,
1: um, on the second hole, I regularly get it down to the bottom. I can still hit it long enough and straight enough to get it down to the bottom. It's my best hole on the course. And I, you know, TJ hit before me because they won the first hole. TJ had the honor. So he hit before me, and he hit it pretty good. I thought he hit it pretty good. I killed it. I killed it. Mm-hmm. I'm down at the bottom. There's one ball down at the bottom. It's me. And Tamika, who is our four caddy, sees a ball 60 yards up. Yeah, halfway up the hill. Halfway up the hill, six yards up, in the rough, rough on the left. And she goes, I, I think this is you. And I go, no, 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 I'm, I'm at the bottom. And she says... Uh, Title is seventy five. I go yeah, <laughs> yeah. He uh, he uh. hit it sixty yards past me on the hole where I killed it. So he I didn't I even was... give you the courtesy of checking. He knew where his was. Yeah, yeah. I just walked straight to it. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, so I was doomed. He birdied the hole, natural birdie, a ten year old kid. Wow, natural
2: birdie. He also chipped in on sixteen from above the hole. This is like one of the hardest <laughs> shots in golf. So I would say that you're focusing on the fact that he's killing the ball off the tee. He hits so on number 2. He hits it's everything a, in the a year. delicate pitch shot from a tight downhill lie that's a spotty lie to a front pin. Yeah. uh to about 5 feet and makes a tricky downhiller on ah. 16. He's behind the he is behind the green. Uh, he misses everything. The chip. Goes
1: in the water on sixteen
2: on a chip. He does not miss a beat. He then proceeds to chip in, and, and he has all the golf vocabulary. It is about time, or yeah. You then know, and he, and he's rooting for you. Yeah. Oh, see, I, I know he
3: probably didn't do this, but I hope he was like condescending, like, "No, that's a good shot," you know. And- no, 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 he, no, no. no. <laughs> right. no.
1: He'd give you some and, tips. And we were uh, Michael and I were not great on the front. We were one over. We were thirty six on the front,
2: mm-hmm. but on the back. One of us got hot, right? Fair to say. Tony caught fire. Yeah. The par the parth really? three specialist yeah. came out. Um, I had three pars
1: and a birdie. I birdied 17 with a long putt. Birdied 17. And we finished 36-30. So that's 66. So we're four under and we got some small amount of shop credit. Shop credit. Yeah, we got some small amount of shop credit, which is really good. That's great. Yeah, so I was I I felt it was wonderful. I had a wonderful wonderful time because I And it I was played a gorgeous all, day. I, except for the two par fives where I was 6
2: over or something like that. I played fine. Yeah, you you played great and we talked about your you played just fine out of the bunkers yeah. i on the other hand hit every single bunker uh lost bunkers number five i was in every every single trap yeah. trap to trap to trap it was frustrating golf was frustrating but it's just a reminder that there's so much more about that day than the golf itself. that was it was totally oh, sure. wonderful and speaking of golf i don't know how many people who are listening to this
1: saw this yesterday the canadian open now i watched a lot of the canadian open from about once the Nats had dominic smith hit a home run Really? A two-run home run?
2: 444 feet, longest of his career.
1: He hit a a two-run home run. Now, it was the the one that gave them the cushion to get to six to two. It was not the two-run home run that got them the lead to four to two. But he is now on pace
3: for as many as six home runs this year and 40 RBI. Wow. Now, not to get a sidetrack, did you see the kid for the Orioles, the home run he hit? Did not. It was on the Utah street. I mean, it was like 467 feet. I mean, it was... A smash. Oh I mean, good. Griffey, because Griffey hit yeah, it Griffey after off it. the
2: uh, Yeah, off the I mean, it was
3: in that neighborhood. It was just thunderous. That's great to know. Yeah. So, um, so after that I start
1: watching the Canadian Open. I have no rooting interest in the Canadian Open, but it's golf and I like to watch. It's pleasant for me. I watch. And I watch for a couple of hours and Nick Taylor is in the lead. Nick Taylor, Birdie 17. Birdie's 18 with a great 15-foot downhill putt. And so he's one stroke or two strokes up on Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood hits an approach to 16, two feet, one foot, knocks it in Birdie. Birdie's 17, they're tied. They finish on a par five. I assume Tommy Fleetwood is going to win. Tommy Fleetwood, by the way, do you know what his nickname is? you know what he looks like? No, I'm not familiar with him. Okay. He's got long hair. He's compactly built. Michael, he can't be more than 5'10". Yep, 5'10". Something like it. that. Sure. His nickname is Fairway Jesus. It's a <laughs> fabulous,
4: fabulous nickname.
1: And from 120 yards in, he's one of the yeah, best in the game. Yeah, very
2: controlled iron swing, has that cut off follow-through. <laughs> one of the Jesus. best in the game. A lot of people didn't really know about him until he partnered up with uh, Molinari at the Ryder Cup a couple yeah, years in ago. Yeah, the Ryder Cup. So he pars
1: 18. He doesn't birdie. And then they go through a series of overtime holes. Nick Taylor from Canada. Like, everybody wants him to win. And this is sudden death? This is sudden death. They go through 18 again. They don't do very well. They go through 18 again. Tommy Fleetwood hits it into the crowd. Into the the stands. Off the course. Into the stands. And just gets a regular drop. Because that's a man-made obstruction. If there's no man-made obstruction there, he's 60 yards past the hole. Anyway, um, they both make the putts they have to make. They both miss the putts they were going to miss. And they go one, then they go to a par three. They're both on the right-hand side above the hole. They both miss on birdies. And then they go one more time to 18. And um, Nick Taylor hits a second shot onto the green 80 feet away. Tommy Fleetwood hits again into a bad situation where he has to chip. But he chips. His third shot, he chips to 12 feet. He's got a very reasonable chance, maybe 10 feet. He's got a very reasonable chance at birdie. And I write to people who I'm writing to, like Norby, for example, I write, I think that Fleetwood is going to be closer on the birdie putt than Nick Taylor is going to be. Nick Taylor's got an eagle putt from what I think is 80 feet and what they say is 72 feet.
2: Or likely that Fleetwood might be able to you know, be the first person in if he's, you know, right. if, if Taylor has to mark it five feet or That's seven. right. That's right. And I think that we're
1: going again. He knocks it in for Eagle from 72 feet, six inches away. <laughs> it is one of the most stunning endings I've ever seen. It is the long, it, they say it's the longest putt of his life. And he is relatively speechless afterwards. I'm sure. And I don't think he will ever have a moment. How was Nance? Was Nance speechless? No, he was not speechless. Nance said at one point, it's one of the greatest moments in Canadian sports history. And I wrote down... 15 different hockey moments <laughs> and a walk-off home run by the Blue Jays. It's such an old And Ben joke. Johnson yeah. beating Carl Lewis. But, hey, but oh, okay. Uh, certainly in golf. It's probably uh, Mike Weir winning the Masters. Yep. Yeah. Maybe Mike Weir winning the Masters. 72
3: feet, though? 72 feet, that's six remarkable. inches.
1: And I, I will tell you that even if he wins a major, I don't believe he will have a greater moment ever in golf because he's Canadian yeah, and that's, that's their yeah. open. Yeah. I, I don't believe he will.
3: Now, did you see what I... I, I missed the best moment. Yeah, did you see what happened right after that? Apparently, there was one of his countrymen. Adam
1: Hadwin. Right? got t- knocked down by security <laughs> Take guards. Taken out. Yeah, it was like he's Mike open, Curtis. popping champagne. It was like Mike Curtis taking out that guy, you know, yes. walked onto the Baltimore Stadium. Yes.
3: Yeah. I, Adam Hadwin may be hurt. Apparently he's fine, and he made as your, somebody he was tweet, coming
1: out with champagne, and he got
3: decked. And some somebody tweeted out that in typical Canadian fashion, he apologized for being tackled. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it was really that um, was a lovely thing, and that's you, great. I know you've seen the clip, but you you were feeding the kids. This and,
2: was uh, this was bedtime, so I followed along. I checked up with it afterwards, but again, it's yeah. the highlight. Yeah. And then every, the the videos that people have made about this say like NFL <laughs> films, which they, they wish they could get this. Boom.
1: Yeah, Mike Curtis from Baltimore when he decked yes, that guy. I remember that. Yes. So I had a wonderful weekend. I got to see um, my son and his wife and their children and their aunt, Kate. And they, you know, came over. We were It was lovely. I was really pleased, really happy. Everything went well except for the fact that I'm just too old. I'm just too old. We'll take a break. Michael Wilbon when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
4: this is The Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: This is sent to us by Michael Corey, the regional program manager in Detroit. He says, for 13 years, I had the gift of working at Detroit Cristo Rey High School, where I had the opportunity to interact with some amazing young women and men in southwest Detroit. Though I retired two years ago, I'm still in contact with many of the alumni as they finish college and look to begin their careers. As I mentioned, the students were amazing, but one who really stood out was Camilla Isabella Cantu. She's one of our top students, then went on to earn her degree at the University of Michigan. While she was earning top grades in high school and college, she also founded Mariachi Feminil Detroit, Michigan's first all-female mariachi band. Recently, she released some solo work, including So Far Gone. She describes it as a smooth, modern bolero-like song with soft, whispery vocals and live instrumentation to give it a Latin feel. I just describe it as beautiful. This is Camilla Cantu. The name of the song is So Far Gone. And it plays in Michael Wilbon. And there's a lot of things we can talk about. Um, we got to talk about how both series feel over. And we've got to talk about Djokovic. And we've got to talk about the golf playoffs. So we'll take them pretty much in that order. Both series feel over. The 3-1 teams going home. It feels like, Mike, in hockey and in basketball, they're going to win. Does it not?
5: Well, it's only basketball it does. Hockey, I don't know. It's a one-goal game. Uh, not, not. I mean, game. Get the third. The the second win. Yeah. For Vegas wasn't, but this was a one-goal win. I don't. I don't know that that's over. And the Panthers and you know the Heat. They have this thing that that they just sort of they're defiant, and that's the spirit of the ball club in each case. I think the one in Denver is. But you know what? I, look. If we think that Denver is great and the Joker is sort of invincible at home in a situation where the franchise has never won, and blah, 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 blah. And all those things, I I subscribe to them. And I started thinking the other day, actually somebody reminded me, Michael Jordan lost three clinch games at home. Well, not all at home. He lost three games that they could have clinched the championship in game five. The Bulls. The great Bulls. Three. Three times. Uh, I know one of them was in Seattle because they were up 3 nothing and lost two games. Um, another time that, you know, one of the, 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 the drama of the Utah Jazz series was that the Bulls lost game five at home and had to go to Salt That's Lake right. to win game six back when it was 2-3-2. And you, they, were gonna have, they lost game five at home knowing they had to play six and seven in Salt Lake. And I forget the other one. I don't know what the other one was. It wasn't Lakers. It wasn't Phoenix. Phoenix. That was the game where Charles comes in and writes on the board, save the city. I don't want to see Chicago burn for the celebration that was sure to come. I don't want to see it burn. Let's save the city. And Chuck himself just willed them to a game five win in Chicago. And and the Bulls had to go win game six in, in Phoenix. So this is what we're talking about. This is that circumstance now. Um, you know, it looks like it's over, but I don't want to go to the betting
1: window. Uh, Well, I mean, I, I I just think that one team is significantly bigger and stronger and better than the other team and no knock on Miami. Miami got here by being an eight. Miami has to be able to mathematically, you have to be able to win on the road to get to the finals. If you're an eight to get to the next series, if you're an eight, you have to be able to do it. But I know you thought after game two, that Miami had gotten into Denver's heads yeah. And I think Michael Malone, the coach there, runs a pretty good ship. Yeah. I think he knows his players pretty well. That's why I sort of like them to win. What do you think?
5: Well, he knew game. He knew that win here in Denver by Miami was significant, and he wanted to, you know, ward off more evil. Yeah. But Tony, you mentioned bigger, stronger. Milwaukee that
1: bigger, stronger than Miami? Yes, they
5: are. Oh, yes. They all are.
1: Well, Boston they, is not that much bigger and stronger. Boston's not yeah, a big are. team.
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. Boston's got Robert Williams and and and, and Jason Tatum. No, those guys are... Robert Williams is a shot-blocking beast. Miami doesn't have anybody like that. And so now, and Al Horford, Boston elected not to play its big lineup a lot, but that's on them. Uh, so, I, again... Do I do I think this is it? Yeah, I even packed like this is it. You know, I you know, left stuff uh in Chicago that I figure I won't need and I brought Yeah. I brought enough to get me you know, I may have to do a little purchasing. Have somebody, you know, send something straight to Miami to wear. But yeah, I I think it's I think it's over Tony, but it, again, I it too many times. Golden State did this a time. The great Warriors teams they did this a time or two, where you know they're up. The, the Golden State was up three one. Now, you know the league suspended Draymond Green, and, and, and that Game Five went awry. But the, the, I'm just talking about stuff I remember that I've been a part of covering in the last thirty years. So there's way more than that. But uh, I think this is it.
1: Okay, I, I do too. And I was really impressed. The other day, when we had Tim Legler on, and Tim Legler said that Nikola Jokic is the greatest offensive big man ever. Ever. Hey, I'm not ready to go there yet. Wasn't that remarkable? I'm not,
0: I'm,
5: not, I'm, not willing, and I'm not willing to go there yet. Akeem Olajuwon had some lines that I've been looking at recently. There was a game in which Akeem had 38 points, 19 rebounds, 7 assists, 7 steals it has been, you know, you know I mean, Jokic is the bit, look, you know, I've been saying for a month, two months, playoffs are two months long. The Joker's the best player in the, in the, in the world. He is. But best big man ever. I mean, that game's where Shaq had 40s and 20s in the finals. I, I can't even get into Wilton Russell. He
1: well, Russell off- wasn't an offensive take oh, Russell
5: out, but offensive, yeah. you've got to have Wilt in. Yeah, of course. And I, you know, again, when you mention, in Kareem, when you mention Wan, when you, when you people forget it was two years, there were two years in which the product was not very appealing and attractive. But I'm talking about the, the product overall, not, not Wan himself, and what he did. And basketball was brutally physical and inartistic and, 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 and all these things. But Akeem Wan, come on, man. Akeem put Shaq in his pocket and swept him. Yeah. Akeem, no, he so did let's, No, so I'm not going. Nah. Okay. Any, anybody on the other side, anybody in the Miami uniform look like Shaq to you?
1: No. No, 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 no. no Akeem, God, Akeem, no.
5: Akeem put him in his pocket.
1: No, he... Well, no. Akeem one was a great person. Let, uh, let me get off yeah. this. Let me yeah. get to the tennis. Yeah. Um, I know you are surprised by this. You thought Alcaraz would win. Alcaraz cramped yeah, can, up. Yeah. Uh, Alcaraz and Rude... Will beat Djokovic someday, but not now. Yeah,
0: not Djokovic not now.
1: now has twenty three. I don't yeah. like him, as you know that I don't like him. But right. I believe that you will make the case that he's the greatest male player ever.
5: It's easy. It's easy to make. I don't know that I believe it, but right. the case is easy to make. Because and I, and I have to. I thought about this because we're going to get we're going to get into this, and this is something I'm going to do this morning before we go in the end this afternoon. I mean, I need to check his head-to-head records against Nadal and Federer. I think he's better. Okay, then if he's better than them. Yeah. This is not like he's better than, you know, some dude who's really terrific. But Medvedev is not that. That No, no. The, and he, if he's better than them, what the hell are they playing the games for? What, what are we talking about here? So, yeah, it's easy to make the case. And Federer might be third because Federer's owned wholly. You think that the that Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears. Come on. Nadal owns Federer. It's something like 2416.
1: Yeah, I got Labor first because I'm old. And I
5: mean, now Labor's not in this anymore. And I remember Labor's career. You may be older than me, but I remember all of Labor's career. All of it. And I know Labor played against great players. And I. To I could I, I used to be able to make the case for it's too much out there. It's all surfaces for 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 Nadal, Federer, and and obviously Nadal had more on clay and Federer had more on grass. Joker, Tony, if if, he, if his record is this head to head, it's superior to both of them.
1: So it's what and is he, interesting to he's
5: me. A slam leader, what the hell? Yeah,
1: that's interesting to me. Now I I will never have him. Equal to labor. Me personally, I will never have him ahead of Borg. I will never have him ahead of Sampras. That's just me personally. But if you take away the tournament where he had the most success, the Australian, he still has more majors than if you take away the most successful thing from, from Nadal, obviously the French, if you take away the most successful thing from Sampras, from um, Federer, Djokovic has more without that by far yeah. than everybody else. So yeah. that is the case that I would make for him.
5: He's too. He's 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 bigger and faster and stronger. He is. Yeah. It, I, his game is more varied. I was watching. I didn't watch. I couldn't see uh, Alcaraz because I was traveling or in a game or something. I don't know. What, it wouldn't have been in the game. But I was traveling. I watched the final. And it just points to just points where, where Joker manufactures shots. He's almost as brilliant playing angles as Federer, who is the best at that. And Tony, look, you know, for me, I saw all of Borg's career. I saw all of McEnroe's career. I saw all of San Francisco's career. Me too. Yeah. Some, of that, some of that I saw yeah. in person. Those guys aren't as good as Joker. They're just not as good. No, I the hate idea. to hear that.
1: But it's I'll give you, here's crazy. the note that uh, Nigel not just got. What? Djokovic, 30-29 to 29 over Nadal. Djokovic, 27-23 over Federer. Come on now. No, I mean, you can do it. I, I, yeah. In other words, yeah. I can't refute it except yeah. by saying, I don't believe it. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I'm yeah. left with. I don't have anything yeah. else. All right, let's move. Yeah. I get it. Golf playoff. Canadian Open. How great yeah, was that?
5: Great. It was great. That's the best thing in golf this year. Don't tell me, but what about Augusta National? What about the players? I don't want to hear it. That was the most dramatic, satisfying, and I don't mean just because the Canadian kid won, because I like Tommy Fleetwood. And I, I, if it was anybody else, I'd have been rooting for him to win. But the, the drama of it, the, 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 the it was both... Great shot-making, putt-dropping, uh, choking. It yeah. had everything in it that you would want golf to have. I mean, it it, it went from having a little bit of Tiger at moments to, to Vanderveld. It was just great. What did you and think so,
1: when you know, when Fleetwood, on the second playoff hole, hit it into the stands?
5: Yeah. Like it hit
1: a, a girl in the head, basically. Yeah. You go, Wow.
5: Yeah, yeah. Well, the relief rules and the, the, the penalties are far greater for weekend golfers than they are for professionals. Yes, that's the story for another day. But that was so great, man. That, that I wa and I I got to watch more golf yesterday than the entire spring because I'm a little busy on Sunday afternoons starting in March. So,
1: but it was, and, it was...
5: Uh, I watched all that because it was 50 degrees in Chicago and raining sideways. Oh. So I didn't leave my apartment. There was nothing else for me to do.
1: I couldn't. I no, I, I I thought that Fleetwood's reaction was the best. He just smiled. Classic. He very what he he can't he doesn't he doesn't even get to make a birdie putt. The no, other guy knocks it in for eagle.
5: Other guy. It was just you know what was it seventy two feet or something seventy two feet six inches. Feet, his longest putt of his career.
1: It's great.
5: Longest made putt. Great. So yeah, man, I I thought that you know on a Sunday where. There's things going on that I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to watch a bunch of auto racing, whatever is going on. I might catch snippets. I'm not going to watch any alleged professional football, not one snap of it. Um, you might have watched was, the Cubs lose. They lost again. No, no, I didn't watch the Cubs lose. No, I, didn't. I Baseball to me starts, you know, after the All Star break. It certainly starts after the NBA finals, and I'll, I'll catch a little. You know, I've, I've, I've watched the Cubs. They play, how many games have, the, have Major League Baseball played now? Forty-five. Oh no,
1: 50? they're up to sixty, Mike.
5: Okay, so out of sixty Cub games, I've watched twenty-five. Hmm. But I don't, I don't watch in earnest until August first, unless that's fair. The Cubs are
1: I watch in earnest, but I, you know, I think after the All Star game is fair. All right, I'll talk to you later. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk about it. All right, so Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, we'll take a break. Pat Forty will join us when we return. we got a bunch of, they're small things, but to me, they're very interesting things to talk to Pat Forty about. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
6: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. You're listening
3: to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: This is sent to us by Phil Lentz. And he writes, on the recommendation of a mutual friend, Chuck Todd, here's a song from my recent CD you may like to use on your show. By way of background, I was political journalist for many years, which is how I met Chuck, then went into politics as a
3: press secretary and speechwriter, all the while writing music.
1: How nice is that?
3: This is great. This is called Bluesy. And I'd say this is a wonderful song, but you know what it could use? Just a little bit of a French horn.
1: A French horn. Yeah. Chuck could
3: could get in a session and (laughs)
1: and just overdub some French horn stuff. Michael, if people like Phil Lentz, who's had a varied
2: career, want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonyquanothershow.com. And it is U.S. Open week. We're also celebrating the captain turning one uh, later this week. So TK Captain One gets you a nice little discount at Johnny O. Uh, Celebrate all the dads in your life. Johnny O has great stuff. Yes, they do. Wonderful stuff. Pat Forty
1: joins us now. There's a million different small things to talk about. And I want to mention, at least, that the Belmont was won by a horse that nobody on this show mentioned called Archangelo, or like Archangel, but Arcangelo. First female trainer to win a Triple Crown, Jenna Antonucci, and, and that was the headline. Except there was no headline in the Washington Post. It was buried, the story was buried, they didn't even have the chart in the agate page. And that's, that's where the Belmont has sunk to. And so my first question for Pat, who is from Louisville, you know, and and nose horses. In light of the Belmont, the Triple Crown now feels almost anachronistic. Is racing going to allow this to continue? It's, you know, it's, I understand what it is, Pat. It's starters not going every fourth day, but going every sixth day. I understand it. But if that's the way it's going to be, is is the Triple Crown valid?
7: Uh, legitimate question, and really has been for quite a while, other than, you know, Bob Baffert having two horses that, that won the Triple Crown from the last decade that were kind of outliers. First of all, they were excellent horses. But secondly, Baffert's one of the few guys that doesn't mind racing his horses as often as you need to to win a Triple Crown. Um, but it's, it's really rare. I mean, this year we had one horse from the Derby run in the Preakness, yeah. and that was Mage, the winner of the Derby. And he only ran, really, because he won the Derby. If he hadn't, he probably would have skipped it, too. And then after he lost that, he didn't show up for the Belmont. So they're so lightly raced. They have so much time, ideally, ideally that trainers want to space out their races that, I mean, I, I think the Triple Crown absolutely does not work the way it is now. I've been saying for a long time, I would love to see the Derby stay on the first Saturday of May move the Preakness to the first Saturday of June or Memorial weekend uh, and then run the Belmont on 4th of July when the only TV competition is a hot dog eating contest. So, I mean, if you want to space it out one per month and I think maybe garner a little more attention as it goes along instead of people just watching for five weeks and watching this mishmash of horses that come and go, I think they have to look at changing the schedule.
1: I agree with that. And it's, you know, the schedule was arbitrary to begin with, so you can make it arbitrary now,
7: right? Absolutely. Sure you can. Yeah. yeah. And I mean the horse racing purists are like, oh, you're you're cheapening the the achievement. It can be done and they're you know, well, by whom? I, I mean, again, Bob Baffert did it because he's Bob Bafford, but nobody else has been able to win a triple crown since nineteen seventies and so you know, I I just think that it's more and more unrealistic to expect horses to run three times in five weeks. What happened
1: to Churchill Downs? They shut down. What happened?
7: Yeah, I mean, a bombshell move by them, but it was in response to really an intolerable situation. Twelve horses died between late April and late May, and uh, you know, the, 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 one thing that will kill that sport, I mean, it's not the most robustly healthy sport to begin with. The one thing that will absolutely turn people off is dead athletes, uh, that you're watching have fatal injuries in front of you. And they have to, they, they I felt like they needed to do a complete shutdown just to examine everything at the track and see if there's some commonality that they can fix. Uh, there may not be, this may have been an incredibly bad run of luck, but it, I think until they know that they had to do everything they they could do, and so they moved their meet to Ellis Park in Henderson, Kentucky, which is outside of Evansville, and uh, it was a pretty stunning move to do that.
1: It's like shutting down Yankee Stadium in the middle of yeah. the season. I mean, I know I know people don't follow horse racing to that degree, but this is Churchill Downs. This isn't some joint, <laughs> you know. This is <laughs> Churchill Downs, right?
7: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are twin the, spires, the, baby. You know. Yeah, the the. The blow, like to the tourism industry here, you know. I mean, people can still come and tour the facility and go to the Kentucky Derby Museum, but people want to come see races at historic Churchill Downs in the summer, and all the people that work at the track. I mean, it was a, a, a pretty big economic blow just to the little ecosystem around the around the track.
1: All right, I'll get off this. I'll go to college football because there are two small stories, and I understand they're small, but they are fascinating to me. And they have to do with scheduling. One is about the SEC and one is about the Big Ten. The SEC, there was some push, I think, to maybe add one more conference game, go from eight to nine. I don't know the ultimate resolution of this, if it has been resolved yet. But my question was always, why should they change at all? They win the national championship every single year. Why should they change?
7: Yeah, uh, well, that's a really good question. Uh, And they ultimately, they stayed with eight. Uh, through this next year, and then they're going to reassess. So they basically kick the can down the road. Right. The, the thinking about why they should change was, A, well, now it's now a 16-team conference, and it seems a bit nonsensical to only play eight games when you have uh, a, a conference that big. But uh, to your point, it's working. Don't, fi- don't, bro- don't fix something that isn't broken. Um, I
1: think it's like 10 of the last 13 championships the SEC has won.
7: Yeah, including the last three in a row by three different schools. Yeah. right. Or the last four in a row by three different schools. Yeah, three different schools. schools. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, the feeling is like, all right, come on. If you're you're going to take in more schools just so you can make more money, then give the fans better games to watch as opposed to scheduling Citadel and and Presbyterian, Youngstown State. But uh, I think the the other thinking behind this is, look, we're going to a 12-team playoff. Strength of schedule is going to matter after you get past the no loss and one loss teams. We want to have the strongest schedules, and so that's what, that was part of the push for for going to nine. But uh, you know they will still probably be very well represented in the twelve team playoff, no matter how many games they play for in their league.
1: The other meaningful division and conference in the country is the Big Ten. They have nine games, but they are not keeping their divisions. The SEC is keeping their divisions. The Big Ten's not keeping their divisions. What do you think of that?
7: Um, you know what? I, I, I'm of two minds about that. One, look, the... the the Big Ten championship game has generally Stinks. been a complete boar burger yeah. because <laughs> yeah. the team from the East squashes the team from the West yes. every year.
1: I should We should point this out that in the East, for people who don't know this because the, the divisions are not called East and West, but in the one division, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State. So, I mean, those are national championship contenders most of the time, right? So that, that makes it when when the team from the East – plays the team from the west it's it's been an average pat of 20 points the margin
7: yeah yeah it has not been a close compelling game and that's what they want and and also going into an expanded playoff era you want you know two or more teams to have yes. a chance to make the playoff and so you know put two good teams in there and improve their strength of schedule uh they have, the one thing like, I will say, and I you know, I did not enjoy watching the big championship game, but I was happy for, like, Purdue when they would win the division or, uh, you know, Northwestern would win the division. That's a big thing for those schools and those programs because that's as good as they can do. But now, you know, th- those teams are not making any Big Ten championship game anytime soon.
1: No, because the, if you're a football fan, the tantalizing possibility is last week of the season, Ohio State-Michigan, next week conference championship ohio state michigan next week ohio state michigan in an expanded playoff right i mean who wouldn't yeah. want that
7: yeah exactly no you're going to i think probably i don't know about routinely but often get a back to back rematch of those two teams yeah. two weeks in a row once in somebody's backyard and then once in a neutral site in uh, in indianapolis so the the
1: larger overall question here to me is that you now have the SEC, with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas, they're going to have 16 teams. The Big Ten, with the addition of USC and UCLA, is going to have 16 teams. Why would you be in any other conference? How do the other conferences exist?
7: (laughs) They're trying to figure that out. Um, You know, this is... What college sports has become is you know a lot like uh like corporate America, where the big get bigger and richer and they try to eat up everything around them yeah and destroy the competition and and it's working, uh especially when you get to look at long range revenue projections for meteorites deals where those two leagues are going to be making thirty million a year more than the rest of them uh I mean, I think it's bad for college athletics. I think it's better as a, as a national sport. I think USC and UCLA going to the, or to the Big Ten is absolutely terrible. Uh, but business is business, and that's where the money is. Now, you know, the, the question is, do those conferences w- want to add anyone else? Right now, it looks like no, unless Notre Dame suddenly changes its mind on independence with a new athletic director coming in next year. That's still not likely. Uh, but other than Notre Dame, I don't think there's too many schools out there people have an eye on. North Carolina and Virginia have some appeal because they're in new states for both the SEC and the Big Ten, and they've got cachet. Uh, but the ACC deal runs through 2035, so you know they're kind of locked in, and there doesn't seem to be much of a way out. And those those conferences are not interested in breaking helping them break a grin of rights like a decade right. ahead of time.
1: Right. Right. Clemson would be a team that I would think might be okay. I guess there's I don't know from the Big 12. I don't know. <clears throat> Without Oklahoma and Texas, I don't know what's popular cuz Nebraska is not what it used to be. Right? I mean, some of these yeah, teams but, are not what they were. They just
7: I mean, the, the the Big 12 is is a good league but but yeah, there's no Curb appeal, so to speak. You know, there's no big market. The TV people are not frothing to get TCU. uh no. You know, with a small alumni base in Dallas, when they've they've already got those markets covered from Texas, Texas A and M, what have you? Oklahoma State, same thing. You know, it's like, you know, they, they, none of the schools that are left in the Big Twelve before you bring in BYU and 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 Cincinnati and so forth. But none of the none of the ones that are in there as good as they, those schools may be at athletics are the main school in their state.
1: I guess what I would worry about, uh, I think I'd worry if I were the PAC-12. I think I'd worry that Oregon and Washington could leave.
7: Well, that's, that's a legitimate worry. And that's, everybody's holding their breath, waiting to see what the PAC-12 media rights agreement is going to be, which is supposedly coming soon, like maybe by the end of this month. Uh, and if it's not a number that, is better than like what the Big 12 is putting out, or at least as good, then you start wondering who gets the wandering eye from the Pac-12. The thing is, Oregon and Washington, I think if the Big 10 had wanted them, they would have taken them by now. Uh, And that hasn't happened, so I don't know. I think, again, like if Notre Dame just upsets the balance of power, then all of a sudden, all right, well, things are going crazy. Yeah, we'll go to 20, and we'll take Oregon and Washington in the Big 10. but. Until that happens, I think that they can just sit there and say, eh, if, if we'll break glass in case of emergency if need be, but otherwise we're good.
1: If they go to 20, if those two go to 20, there is no more college football other than them. There's no yeah. more.
7: Right. I mean, then you might as well have an AFC versus NFC sort That's of right, playoff. Exactly. And, exactly. and everybody else is out.
1: All right, plug your podcast for us.
7: All right, College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel from Yahoo Sports, Ross Dellinger, and myself. You get it on... Apple, Spotify, all those places, and we would uh, love to have you listen to it.
1: Thank you, Pat. My pleasure. Thanks, Tony. Pat Forty, boys and girls, we will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
0: You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show.
4: Here comes Tony's mailbag. Get your emails,
5: faxes, and your notes.
4: Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag. I want read some for all of your folks.
1: That was just submitted one day. Some He's guy. coming to D.C. in a few weeks. Yeah. Oh, he is? Yeah. We oh. should see him. Yes. Gary's Rucker. That would be fantastic. Yeah, play
3: some golf. Let's take him to Columbia. Let's see if we can do that. Uh, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Maybe you'll get the bagel sandwiches like we got today. Fabulous. Sometimes Nigel tries to stump me with certain <laughs> rock and roll lyrics. You
1: know, sometimes he does stump me. The other day he said... I'll just give you the first line. And he said, now you've got some diamonds. And I said, and you will have some others. But you better watch your step girl or start living with your mother. So don't play with me because you're playing with fire. Yes. Michael Philip Jagger in the lead on that. I Believe you have that. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Pat Forty. Thanks to our sponsors today, ZipRecruiter and Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Uh, From Michael Boone in Copan Ruinas in Honduras. My name is Michael Boone. I'm an English teacher and writer, currently living and teaching in Honduras. I lived and taught in Honduras for a few years pre-COVID. Recently, I've returned to what I love to do, teaching English, traveling, and writing poetry. I've been listening to the podcast for several years. I've watched PTI for more than a decade. As you can imagine, Honduras does not have all the comforts of the United States, but the genuine hospitality and welcoming nature... Of the Honduran people, more than make up for it. I teach 11th and 12th grade English and try to create new and fun ways to challenge them. Walking back and forth to school and the market daily, I listen to the show. Then one day, it occurred to me to use the podcast as an audio tool for a lesson. Kids didn't know what to think at first, but understood mostly everything, except Nigel's accent and, of course, Carville threw them for a loop. (laughs) One day, (coughs) excuse me, a student stayed after class and asked sincerely, "Mr. Michael, what are they trying to get that man Saliza to eat?" I couldn't help but smile. I knew I had to tell you guys. The show's a welcome delight so far away from home. Thanks for the laughs and a good-hearted sincerity underlining each show. Alexis Pereira in Queens. This is an old one. Since I last wrote to you, I got married in Queens and got hired to write for a Disney show called Hamster and Gretel. Isn't that a nice title?
0: <laughs> I'm interested. <laughs> Hamster and
1: Gretel. I guess that technically makes us co-workers. I also have a one-in-a-million story. My mother, Olga, was a nurse at St. Francis Hospital in Long Island. There she was talking to an Indian priest recovering the ICU. My mother asked him what part of India he was from since my dad is also Indian. He said, Goa. My mom said, oh, so is my husband. What part of Goa? He said, Margao. My mom said, oh, wow, my husband too. The priest asked what my dad's name was and she said, George. The priest said, it's not George Pereira, is it? My mom said, yes. The priest nearly had a second heart attack in a week. He was my father's best friend and hadn't seen him in 52 years. <laughs> like, really? Wow. Okay. From Clifton Buck. PhD, University of Georgia. Uh, the official oceanographer of the Tony Kornheiser Show checking in. I was enjoying Chuck Culpepper's master's commentary when he quoted the great golf writer Jeff Rood, and I thought, hey, I know that guy. He was at my wedding. We served chicken. It was excellent, but there may have been some parking issues. Anyway, Jeff Rood... Or Rudy. Ru- Is it rude or Rudy? I think it's Rudy. Worked with my then-future in-laws at Golf Week up until the mid-2000s. Truthfully, I haven't seen him since, but he gets mentioned around the table from time to time. When told about the mention, the mother of the woman to whom I'm ma- related by marriage said, Ha! I don't know about great, though you wouldn't get any argument from him. Woo! The, the show continues to <laughs> amaze. Shots fired. From hearing emails from my high school English teacher, Mark Finer to knowing Tim Kirchin's avocado theme song, which proved useful, when he was next to me at the Reagan ticket counter a few years ago. And now another David Aldrich moment. Thanks for the laughs. I'm looking forward to another summer of Tony versus the Squirrels, which we can only hope is moderately more successful than the Nats bullpen versus the hitters on the opposing team. So far Owls are
2: doing their job.
1: The owls are the owls are doing their job so far. They're creepy. They rotate their head. Yeah. <laughs> they are a little uh, creepy. From Don Hammock in Biloxi, Mississippi. Dennis Bounds' email from a show a long time ago talked about the Hanson brothers from Slapshot. You mentioned Paul Newman being in that movie, but I have some Washington sports connective tissue related to the noted thespian-turned-salad-dressing master. Newman plays Reg Dunlop in the movie, which was filmed in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Former Caps coach Bruce Boudreaux was playing for the Johnstown Jets at the time and scores a goal in a playing sequence early in the movie, but his apartment got more screen time than he did. They used it as Reg Dunlop's abode, <laughs> yes. and when you see Paul Newman in his pad, that's Boudreaux's. Isn't that interesting? Yes,
3: that's wild. Yeah.
1: Um, From Matthew Galluli, not that Galluli, <laughs> no, not Jeff Galluli, <laughs> not him no. in Rochester, New York, Zwiegles, eat it. Hoffmans, don't eat it. Okay, from Matt Weissman in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. You chose the best of the best. Thank All you. the upstate pretenders can't hold a candle to snappy grillers. From Scott Organic, not that organic, in Vernon, Connecticut. What does it feel like my not having... Why does it feel like my not having a one-in-a-million story is actually one-in-a-million? That's sort of interesting. From Michael Winkler. Throwing my hat in the ring for the coincidence game. A thousand years ago, I went to college in a tiny town in East Central Wisconsin called Whitewater. Wisconsin-Whitewater. They have a basketball team. I was a dope and nowhere near ready for college life. The only class I took seriously was my freshman-level world history class, where I sat next to a cute girl who I never had the guts to talk to. On the day of the final, back when those things involved handwritten essays in little blue books, <laughs> I was finishing up my overly long and I'm sure far too detailed test when the cute girl came dashing in for the test. She was an hour late Oof. and in a complete panic mode. You know where this is going. Before the aforementioned dope that I was, I washed out of that school. Being the aforementioned dope that I was, I washed out of that school in a year. I bounced around some dead-end jobs for a while, eventually went back to school and graduated with a terminally useless degree in history. Just after my 30th birthday, I met a wonderful woman on a dating website, and we got to talking about the strange coincidence that we went to the same school in the early 90s. She told me a story about our freshman level, world history class, and how she had written down the wrong time and showed up an hour late. Yeah. 20 years, a ridiculous set of triplets, and a fantastic life late. And I'm still madly in love with a girl who can't tell time. She's still always late, drives me crazy, but she tolerates my nonsense, and that's more than most people get, Michael Winkler. That's wonderful. From Patrick Vicentio in Laurel, Maryland. On Friday's podcast, Jason Samino, Sammy, Sammy, indicated that New York's health code was at maroon. Would the next code be maroon and black? <laughs> if so, New York would be needed to get geared up and ready to go. I love that. I love that. I love that. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone as always, do wear white.
5: Come on now. That means everybody just cool out. <laughs> Where you cool out everybody.